0: In your Bibles with you this morning if you would. book of Hebrews in your New Testament. Hebrews chapters 5 and 6. Chapters 5 and 6 in the book of Hebrews. We won't look at all of the chapters, obviously. Talking about extreme faith and all those things that we've talked about talking about extreme maturity today. Maturity is sometimes translated in the New Testament as perfection. So perfection is where you grow and become mature and and when it talks about us becoming perfect on this earth it's simply that process of maturity and growth. So God wants us to grow of course not just as persons but as Christians. So we're going to talk about how those two are similar and different but they are related. Hebrews chapters 5 and 6. As always we pray, prayer is privilege. One of the things that I love to do with our families when we get together is let the grandkids preach. They preach, sometimes they preach, and they always want to pray. And they pray the sweetest prayers, sometimes a little memorized things, And sometimes they talk from the heart. And it's just the best stuff. And you've done the same thing too. And I know that it pleases God that children learn from their parents and their family that their prayers make a difference. And they do, don't they? I'll give you a few moments to pray where you're seated. I'll close and then we'll look at this passage together. Would you bow with me please? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. You love us, Father. Thank you. You have gifted us with life. Life in Christ, life on this earth. Laughter and food in this country. We have everything. Thank you. Thank you for using good people, good leaders... Strong men and women and soldiers to bring us this peace that is uncommon. Thank you. We thank you, Father, for what we have in Jesus. Forgiveness of sin, your spirit that lives within us. For scripture which teaches and guides us. For this process by which we gain wisdom and maturity. Thank you, Father, for caring for us, for acting in a way that will nurture us and fill us and prepare us for this life and the life that is to come. Thank you. This morning, we come to you knowing that we're a sinful people. At our best, we are tainted and we fail and we fall. We ask for mercy and forgiveness. We repent, Father. We choose to be different. Sometimes we fall be merciful upon us, help us to change, give us the strength that we need to grow and develop and mature and and become different and lead different lives. We pray as always for those that have power over us, those in leadership positions, those in the courts, those in office, guide and direct them Father, give them wisdom, restraint, Strength, the ability to think clearly. As a nation, Father, we are struggling. We are struggling against false teachings and bad influences. People that should be good and righteous are not. Help us. Help us to find our way. Help us to avoid the errors that have led to the destruction of so many before. We pray for our soldiers, our first responders, their families. Keep them safe. Use them to save lives and to make a difference. We pray, Father, that you would work with us. Lord, give us hope. Give us joy. Help us to live lives that honor you and honor your kingdom. Speak to us now from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been confronted with a situation where you knew you were too old to do what you wanted to do? Silly, isn't it? In my day, I was somewhat of an athlete. I could ride bicycles and unicycles and walk on my hands up and down steps and do all those things fast-forward I'm no longer a young guy and I can't do those things and I know that I think of myself often when I watch those America's Funniest Home Videos and there's fat old men doing stupid things and getting hurt doing that and I realize that could be me well what prompted this whole discussion was one of my granddaughters got one of those hoverboards you know what I'm talking about that's that little electronic doohickey it's about this long, it's got a wheel on each end and it's, it spins in the center and it's got some really sensitive electronic gadgetry in it and my granddaughters stepped on it and went to town on it and they just got on it and they immediately had the ability to do it and make it look easy. Well this has been three and four weeks now, I've seen them twirling around the house and you do not know how badly I want to get on that thing. It is all I can do to not grab that out from under them and take it. And I know what will happen because I'm one of those pudgy old men that's lost my reflexes and I can't move like I used to and and I don't bounce when I hit the ground anymore and all those kinds of things. And I know that, but I just want to ride that so bad. And Tammy says, don't you do it, don't you do it. And then finally the other night, Tammy said, go ahead, Kev, go ahead and I knew that she just wanted to laugh at me when I hit the ground and I chose to do the mature thing and I said no I can't because I know what's gonna happen if I can't have elbow pads, wrist pads, knee pads, hip pads and a helmet I'm not gonna do it and I don't have those and you know, it would cost me two hundred dollars worth of pads to fall down and I don't need to do that so I'm resisting now if you see me coming in with a limp in a few weeks you may know that I failed but so far I've done the mature thing And it pains me. What is there about those younger years and the abilities that you develop when you're young? What is there so appealing about those things? And the ways you used to act and the ways you used to talk and the ways you used to ride motorcycles and all those kinds of things. You know, I've done all that stuff as a young buck and survived to tell about it. And still I want to do all those things just like I used to. And then I look in the mirror and realize I can't. My body doesn't work that way anymore. The reflexes are no longer reflexes. They're notions of movement that used to happen but cannot anymore. And so I I stand there like an old man yearning for younger days, jealous of my 10-year-old granddaughter because of what she can do. It doesn't help that my son-in-laws can still do this. And they don't rub it in, but you know, they're looking at the old man. I can still ride my unicycle but that's not what I want to do. So, the the battle endures, doesn't it? Will you mature and grow up and accept your age and limitations? Will you become the responsible adult that it's time to become? Or will you give in and try to be the child once again and make yourself a fool and entertain people that watch you? Maybe someone will catch it on video. It's called growing up. One of the daycare daddies and I have this conversation about growing up often. He's a great guy, 40 years old-ish, kids in high school, changes jobs every six weeks or so. Good guy, lots of life skills, cannot control his temper or his tongue or his actions. And like I said, he's a good guy. He is his own worst enemy. And I told him, I said, you know, someday you're going to have to grow up. He goes, yeah, I know, but I just can't do it. And he knows what's going on in his life. And he knows there are changes he needs to make. And he knows there are things he needs to do to be the responsible parent that his children need. And all those kinds of things. But he just can't do it. You have to be willing to change, don't you? He recognizes who he is. He recognizes the problems in his life. And yet, when pressed, he goes, yeah, I I know. But I just can't. And then he laughs and he drives away. And like I said, he's a great guy. I hope he lives long enough to grow up because he would he would get on the hoverboard I'm sure I'm kind of jealous of that but again there's that struggle for maturity maturity sometimes happens a little bit at a time it's gradual and then sometimes it happens because you choose to do the mature thing it's incremental a little bit here and there and sometimes there's big steps and big changes and then sometimes it's just just a little influence here and there It happens in every area of life. Even in the idea of following Jesus. I wish I could say that if you sat there long enough for my sermons that something would click. That if you just hear me spew on and on over a few years that somewhere along the way you would grow up as a Christian and become the person that God wants you to become and all those kinds of things. But it doesn't work that way, does it? I'm just one more talking head among a world of talking heads who tells you that there are things that can be done that can help you, etc. But you have to do something with it. Well, today we're going to read a passage of Scripture where Barnabas is talking to a group of people who are fighting it, like my friend. Follow along with me if you would. Chapter 5. Let's see if I can get this right. Verse 11, talking about Jesus. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we shall do if God permits. We'll stop there talking to good Christian people, just like you. They were in a church, they were studying scripture, they were living the life, and doing what they could as Christian. And yet, there were struggles, and Barnabas wrote, said, you guys, you ought to be teachers now, but, but you're not. And there comes a time when you need to move on from milk, but you need milk still. So what was happening was, this group of people, they had chosen to not mature. I'm having trouble keeping my thing here with the so I hope my sermon doesn't blow away. If it does, I'll keep preaching. On screen is the first idea. A mature faith is based upon a solid foundation of eternal truths. So, let's assume that you're here as a Christian. You come to church. You try to stay awake during a sermon and all those kinds of things. And one of the goals is to grow in the faith. Not just to have God bless you and bring to him your concerns, that's fair. But still there is this understanding that over time you will grow and mature. So let's assume that's the case. Before you can do that, you have to learn some things. I'm watching one of my granddaughters take guitar lessons and it's painful. She doesn't know anything, she can't read music. She doesn't know scales, she knows sound and she knows to pink strings but that's it and she has to learn so many things then and, and she watches the YouTube videos of people and she knows what people can do and she's seen people play guitar and her teacher does things for her and shows her things and and she wants to learn so badly but and I don't want to tell her you just gotta keep at it and it's gonna be a while before you're gonna sound good and she does okay to be honest for an eight-year-old girl she's pretty sharp and she's learning and I know that if she sticks with it if she sticks with it and if her teacher has patience and the skill to entertain her and if she practices and if all those ifs that she will eventually become a guitar player all those kinds of things but there's so much between this the beginning and this the better product like growing in Christ you get saved You receive Jesus as Savior, you receive the cleansing, you're baptized by immersion, you become a church member, you go to Bible studies, and slowly but surely, hopefully, you pick up some things. You won't learn everything, of course. Some of it is more interesting than others. Some weeks, the sermon is a dud, I get it. Sometimes you wonder why he's talking to you, and how did he know? And all those things are true, right? And over a period of maybe years and even decades... You grow. Wouldn't it be great if we could do something to maybe speed the process up? It's not that there's anything wrong with that slow maturation process. But wouldn't it be good if we could do something to help? Well, he mentions some things in our passage of Scripture. And look back again, if you would. Again, my pages are blowing. In chapter 6, verse 1, look at what he's talking about. Therefore, leaving aside "...the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God, instruction about washings, laying on of hands, and the resurrection of dead and eternal judgment." So he's talking about the basics. Before you can grow much in the faith, there are some issues that you just have to learn. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to know the whole Bible. But there are some things that you just have to learn before God can do much within you. And we have to remember that maturation in the faith, becoming mature as Christian, isn't just something that you do. It is a joint effort. You put in time and energy and God gets involved and the Holy Spirit works. And he changes the way you think. And he changes the way you talk. And he changes the way you act. So what you have to do is have some basic teachings. And so the author here lists some basic things that are just really basic things. Uh, resurrection from the dead, who is Jesus, salvation issues in other words. So one of the things that you need to grow spiritually is of course an understanding of who Jesus is, the practice of salvation, salvation, repentance of sins mentions baptism and washings that process whereby you understand that you are going from one way of life to another is he wasn't saying that the water itself was special but the meaning of baptism where when you go underneath the water it's a symbol that you believe that Jesus was crucified and when you come up out of the water it's a symbol that you believe that Jesus came back from the dead to live a different life just like you are now and so, that's the thing of washings. And he goes on and talks about these other things. Repentance from dead works. Meaning, you, not, you no longer try to earn salvation. But you understand that salvation is gift. And this is a huge basic teaching. One of the strongest and most distinctive teachings of Christianity is this. You cannot do anything to get saved. You can only allow Jesus to save you. It's the only way it works. You cannot give an extra dose of money to get saved. You cannot do enough good stuff to be saved. The only thing you can do to be saved is to receive Jesus as Savior. And that changes everything. Because number one, there's no guilt involved. If you miss church or don't like the preacher or the preacher doesn't like you or whatever. There's no guilt there because it's between you and God. You don't earn it, you don't buy it, you don't get it because you've been good this year, this decade, whatever. It is grace. You see that changes everything. It rescues you from the manipulations of religious leadership. It rescues you from the burden of earning anything from God. You see how important that is. And it's a change. It's, and it's not a subtle change either. This is the difference between Christianity and every other religious faith on the planet. Where you have to make the preacher happy or give a special gift to the priest or you have to wear certain clothes or live a certain kind of lifestyle in order to reach nirvana or heaven or whatever. None of that counts with Christianity. You see, there is this unique teaching. Jesus saves you. You merely receive the cleansing. And that's it. Now, there is that repentance of sin. You make a choice to be different, of course. But you're saved at that moment you say, Jesus save me. No earning to it. So that's a huge thing. And if you can get past that one, that rescues you from so many of the other things. From working and feeling guilty and working yourself to a frazzle to earn salvation or to keep salvation don't have to do any of those things. You don't have to give extra offerings. Extra offerings are fine. You want to give them, that's great. But they don't necessarily do anything for you spiritually. God can use them, of course. But you don't have to do that to be saved. So, some of these basic teachings can... Change the way you live your life. Laying on of hands, that's a sense of fellowship. Resurrection of the dead, that's believing in Jesus and the resurrection. And that when you die, there will be this instantaneous resurrection. Your spirit will be with the Father. And sometime, we don't understand when or how, your flesh will become resurrected. Now, just as an aside, one of the things that this frees you from, if you understand this, is that you do not have to worry about whether or not you are cremated or buried. Doesn't matter. God's big enough to fix it, okay? I mean, if He can rescue soldiers lost at sea and resurrect their flesh, surely He can resurrect flesh that's been burned and put into an urn. Now, I say that it's almost silly, but people worry about this. You know, I. I do a lot of funerals have done hundreds of funerals in this church and in other churches over the years and for a lot of reasons people are are cremating more for financial reasons and other things and yet still I have these conversations often well what about the resurrection will this hinder it or some people will tell me I can't have cremation because I want to be ready for the resurrection you do not have to worry about that God's got that guys. And as long as you understand that, and that's one of those basic teachings that the God who created you from dust can recreate you from dust, then you don't have to worry about that. See, it's one of those things that you simply don't have to worry about. And that's just one more step in maturity. Being freed from what are essentially childish concerns. And by child, I don't mean silliness. I mean things that you just don't understand. You don't have to understand everything well how will God take the ashes and make them back to life I don't know don't care doesn't matter whether you understand it or not God can do it he did it once before didn't he you see there is freedom in some of these basic teachings that allows you to move on eternal judgment you don't have to worry about it God's got you covered I said this last week, but it bears repeating. John said that Jesus is your advocate. He is your lawyer. He represents you. When you stand before God, and there is this image, and we don't know if it's meant to be literal or whether it's just a way to understand, there is this image in scripture that you stand before God in final judgment, and Jesus, your advocate, defends you as follower of Christ. You don't have to worry about anything else. Well, I hope I'm in. There's none of that business with the follower of Jesus. When you understand the biblical teachings here, the basic teachings, and you accept them, you don't have to worry. I receive Jesus. When I die, the moment I die, I awake in the presence of the Father. And it's that simple. You see, those are basics. And those allow you to move on. Interestingly enough, and here's a little bit of a preacher information. Now, I know it'll fascinate you, it does me. But uh, this whole section, from 511, chapter 511 to 612, look at those, if you would, five, chapter 5, verse 11. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. So there's that phrase, dull of hearing. And then, in 612, if you would, Look at that verse, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inheritance promise. So when Barnabas wrote this passage, he used an old technique called inclusio, and some of you teachers and grammar types would find this interesting. In ancient cultures, in the Greek language, when you wanted a section to stand out as a section, and this was before they had paragraphs. Or chapters. You would use something called inclusio. And so would you use the exact same form of the exact same word in the first sentence and in the last sentence. And everybody who was reading would know, okay, there's that word, there's that word again. Okay, this is a whole section. So, the idea that the Christians to whom Barnabas was writing were hanging back was a big deal. And it earned or garnered a special section in scripture. Because so what that means to us is this. Your spiritual maturity is a big deal to God. He included a special section of scripture about your spiritual maturity. You growing in the faith is a big deal. It, it's something important to God. Whether or not you think it is or not is another issue. But God thinks he's, it's important. God wants you to grow. God wants to bless you and use you, etc., etc., and so he wrote a section that may apply to you if you're dull of hearing or sluggish. So we need to talk about that just a little bit. He calls these elemental teachings and he does say here, by now you ought to be teachers. So they've been through the classes, they've been through vacation, Bible study and all those things and they've learned all this stuff and they've decided that's enough. That's enough. So they got saved, there was this flurry of activity and devotion, and then they quit. They went to fellowship dinners, of course, because you'd never miss a meal. But that's about as far as it went. They were no longer listening to the preacher. Or, they wanted the preacher to say the same things that they already knew, and not challenge him with other things. One of the other things that was a problem here, was because they were moving away and, and no longer functioning with this understanding of that need for salvation through Jesus and the need for repentance of sin and judgment at death and all those kinds of things because they were moving away from that they were no longer reaching out into the community so there were Christians who knew all about following Jesus and other people's needs for Jesus and they were no longer fooling with it they were very comfortable and content in their own spirituality they're good people they went to church they gave offerings but in terms of sharing their faith or inviting others to church or in terms of moving on from the basics, it just wasn't happening. You should be teaching. But maybe you need to relearn everything is what he said. In other words, they just weren't doing anything with their faith. So this is the way it is. You choose to grow, the essentials are on screen. Some of the ideas that can help you if you grasp the essentials, that gives you a, that, an essential foundation for growth. In other words, you understand you're saved, you don't have to get saved, you don't have to worry about losing your salvation, etc. etc. So you can think about other things. If you understand the basics, you don't have to worry about false teachers. In other words, the hucksters on TV aren't going to drag you down. They're not going to pull you away from the true faith or anything like that. And finally, it helps you to understand how you can reach other people. So what this means is if you understand the message of salvation and you grasp it, you don't tell people, well, you just need to go to church a lot. You would never do that. The mature Christian would never say, you just need to go to church a lot and hope you get saved because you know that doesn't work. You would never say to someone, well, you need to write a big check to church and maybe that'll fix it. You would never do that because you know that doesn't work. And you would never say to someone, you need to do a lot of good things and maybe that'll get you into heaven because you know that doesn't work. You see how it works. If you understand the basics, you've moved on and you can approach people and tell them a better understanding. Interestingly enough, the reason that this was such an issue with these Christians, was that most of them were Jewish people who had gotten saved. Now they were saved. And what they were doing was they were trying to recreate Christianity in the form of Judaism. They still wanted to be Jews. They were saved. They received Jesus, but they really liked Judaism because grandma and grandpa took me to temple. And Mom and dad taught me this and all those kinds of things. And there was a a social dimension to going to synagogue and all those kinds of things. And they were trying to recreate Christianity as Judaism. And what was happening was they were saying, well, yes, Jesus is wonderful and he saves you. But you also have to keep those holy days. And you have to do these offerings. And you have to do this ritual and so on and so forth. And see, instead of just relying on the grace of Jesus to save you, People were adapting this and they were working in a thing where instead of just Jesus, it was Jesus plus. A quick sign of immaturity is when people say that Jesus plus is a way of salvation. Salvation is Jesus only. He only saves you. The immature will say Jesus plus works. Whatever works is. And so, in the early church, this was a struggle. And of course, you know this. At some point, decades into the early church, there had to be a clean break because what had happened was, and the author here alludes to this, is that Christianity became one more sect of Judaism. It was Christianity But it was really Christianity light because it was Jewish and there was a distinct loss of Christian character there. And so Paul and Barnabas and others had to lead the church to make a break with the early Christian church. And there was this big division because there were Jewish Christians who couldn't let go of Judaism. And then there were Christians who made the break and they let go of all those ancient rituals. And it wasn't that the ancient rituals were bad. But they were no longer in effect because everything is now under the gospel. So in 6.1 he said, let us press on to maturity. On screen is this next idea. Maturity comes when we make spiritual growth of value. When we choose to do something. Tammy makes fun of me. I still lift weights and I'm not very good at it anymore because it hurts And so I lift light weights, you know, I'm just trying to stay where I can bend. But there was a day when I thought I was some kind of weightlifter. I never got big and bulky, but whatever. I I like to read the magazines. Strangely enough, I still like to read those articles about lifting weights. And I watch those videos, and on YouTube there are all sorts of pictures and videos of, of guys and gals lifting weights and getting big and bulky and all those kinds of things. And obviously I don't do those things, but I like to watch videos of people who do. Isn't that the craziest thing? I like to watch videos of people lifting weights. And I like to read about muscle development and all that kind of thing. So anyway, I've read a few articles. And I'm not going to change, obviously. I'm just going to read about lifting weights and getting in shape and all those kinds of things. Because I'm like you are. I'd rather read about it than do it. And so here we are. So I was reading this article and a guy was talking about how you lose weight and how you get ripped and get bulging veins and bulging muscles and get a trim tummy and get rid of the love handles, all those kinds of things. And he said, if you don't make an intentional choice, you'll just be a well-muscled gym rat. And I thought, well, what's wrong with gym rats? You know, because I could be a gym rat. I could lift weights and not lose weight and all those kinds of things. But he was making the point, you must intentionally choose to build certain parts of your life it's exactly what the author here is saying following Jesus is a good idea you must make a choice to do it if you want to grow in your prayer life then you have to choose to do that you can't just say you know I should pray more and then turn on the TV or your phone you have to turn all those things off and begin the practice of prayer if you say you know I'd like to know more about what the Bible teaches well then you have to actually read scripture and attend Bible studies and those kinds of things you see it takes an intentional action to actually help you grow and when you do that then you can grow and develop so on screen are a couple of ideas part of spiritual maturity is not only understanding salvation that we've talked about But understanding how that salvation applies to different things in life. So let's take take an easy one. You have these relationships in your life. They are a distinct part of the way you follow Jesus. Now some people don't understand that. People think they can go to church and follow Jesus and then say whatever they want, do whatever they want, and their relationships and personal life is a train wreck. Part of Christianity and part of maturing the faith is practicing self-control of your mouth, of your temper, of the way you treat people. Do you hold grudges? Do you forgive? Are you patient? Are you gracious and kind? And so on and so forth. And those are things that you determine. You know, sometimes I get the impression people are saying, well, and people will say this, well, God will change me when he's ready. Guys, he was ready a long time ago. God will change you when you allow him to change you. So that's just one way that you can begin to grow, is that you look at your life and look at the biblical teachings on forgiveness and grace and respect and patience And begin to implement those and take those home and apply them to your relationship with your spouse, children and grandkids, yourself, things like this. Something you can do. One of the other things here, and preachers can go on long about this one, social and daily issues. Maturing in the faith means applying your faith to social issues and daily issues and doing so in a way that honors Christ. Now it is easy to get off the beaten path on social issues and you know that. You know there's all sorts of social issues people fight over. One of the things about Christianity, oh, remember that salvation thing is that in Christ we are united. We're family. And God wants us to love each other and respect each other and control our tongues, and control our anger. So whenever you talk about social issues and what you think the Christians should believe about thus and so, whatever, you know, you have to remember following Jesus first. It's all right for Christians to disagree. It's not all right for Christians to write off other Christians because they disagree on certain issues. I I talk about my preacher friends all the time because for some reason they think that they all have to Post stuff on Facebook. And I am amazed. One of my good friends, good solid Christian. He's not a pastor, but he's a great guy and a good Christian. He writes, this is what I believe. Whatever. And then he says, if you don't agree with me on these things, I don't want to be your friend anymore. Unfriend me. And he says that. I thought, why would you do that? Because I don't agree with him on all those things. And all of a sudden, I'm told I can't be his friend because I don't agree with him on everything. How unchristian is that? You see how that works? In Christ though, the idea is that our unity in Jesus is more powerful than those things that tend to divide us. Christianity tends to draw people together, tends to draw Christians together. So what we have to do is learn to love people and being mature means we love people with whom we disagree. It's not easy. Man, I know. The passions that social issues stir up are, man, they're just so severe. And they're terrifying and you, you catch yourself saying things that you don't want to say and you, you think things that you don't want to think and, and you do things that you don't really want to do all because you get caught up in the moment about a social issue. And it doesn't matter whether it's abortion or homosexuality or trans I mean, there are all sorts of issues. Democrats, or Republicans, all those things. What we have to do, Christian maturity teaches us that we look at those things, we apply biblical teaching to those things, and we still love people that disagree with us. You see, it's not an option to just push people out of your life because they disagree with you. That's not an option for the Christian. In Jesus, we are called to be one. And that takes maturity. And it probably says something about my friends, doesn't it? And about me and you, because we've all done this. And we write people off or say, well, I just can't be his friend. Well, I'm just not going to talk to her anymore. And so on and so forth, because we disagree. And we've we got to be very careful there. Because that's a sign of immaturity on our part. And I understand, believe me. This, this whole social issue thing is in my family. And man, we've got to work hard. Because here's the crazy thing. When we're not together, we love each other. But when we're together, we can't stand each other because, you know, we have these disagreements. So, uh, folks, there's something wrong there when Christians can't be with people that they say they love. Maturity means getting past that. It's not easy. I guess the test is, when you look at yourself, does your Christianity make you a better person? does it give you control over your tongue and your temper over the way you treat people and this is up for you to determine and if you look at your life and you see areas where you need to grow and mature it's up to you. The preacher can't do it for you someone can't nag you into maturity it's gotta come from you working with Jesus on screen is a passage of scripture read this with me if you would Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. So, here it is. Follow Jesus, but don't stop... Just because you understand the basics. Build upon those basics and make a choice to allow God to influence you. It's not a matter of how much you learn, it's a matter of how you live. And that's when you'll know that you stumbled into Christian maturity, and it will make a difference in your life. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. Nate, why don't you come on up here? And the decision is simply to follow Jesus and allow him to continue to work in your life. Would you stand with me please, Nate? here today, mama and daughter, and Kurt's over there too. They both come in order to be baptized. They're Christian. They've been sprinkled and they want to be baptized and be a be a member of the church. Of course, they've been here longer than me, but you know, uh, they're doing this and we're so glad you're doing this. This is a sign of obedience and maturity and all those kinds of things. And it's not that they weren't saved before or anything like that, but this is just a step in the right direction of maturity. And, and it's uh um, it's kind of a big deal to come up here, isn't it? Yes. Sure. It's very emotional. It means a lot and stirs up a lot of stuff and all those kinds of things. So we commend you both. If you would like to receive them into fellowship as candidates for baptism, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Thank you. And, and when you are dismissed after uh, we're finished in prayer, I uh, hope you'll come and stay here. Let people shake your hand, alright? And, and commend them for the decision. You can stand back over there again. Would you pray with me, please? Father, again, we thank you for this family that have made a decision to to do something in public that uh, they've been wanting to do, to make this decision to continue to grow. Thank you, Father, for them. We pray that we will be challenged and encouraged by their witness to make steps in our own life to grow. Be with us, Father. Help us to honor you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.